The Word of God, the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 21 through 27. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green, and the trees bear its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, earth and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vast shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter. My great army, which I sent among you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dwelt dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. A reading from the 14th chapter of the book of Acts. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, They lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who has made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derb. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, 
encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. But if you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it takes place, so that when it takes place, you might believe. The Gospel of the Lord. It's a book, uh, Metamorphoses, uh, by Ovid, which was written about 50 years uh, before um, the events uh, that are recorded um, in our Acts reading. And there's a story in the Metamorphoses uh, that takes place actually in the region uh, where um, our Acts reading um, takes place in Laconia. It's a a myth um, that Ovid uh, retells. And it tells of Zeus and Hermes coming into that region um, and um, disguising themselves, basically appearing as normal men uh, to test the people of that region and to see um, what they experience from the people of that region. And they go from house to house expecting to be welcomed and to be shown hospitality. Um, But after visiting a thousand houses, no one has welcomed them in. No one has given them a meal. No one has shown hospitality to them. But when Zeus and Hermes get to the 1,001 house, um, they um, come to the home, a very meager, a small dwelling place of an elderly couple named Philemon and Bossius. And Philemon and Bossius welcome these two strangers into their home. Ovid, describing their house, says they are both the masters and the servants of their home, which is his way of saying they don't have servants, they can't afford servants, but actually his way of saying their life is marked by hardship, right? That they have to, to serve just to survive. And yet, as um, Philemon and Bosses welcome these two strangers in, they give them um, abundant uh, food from the garden that they have. They give them basically the last remaining meat um, that they have in their house. They do their best to give a feast to these strangers to honor them and to show hospitality to them. As they're sitting um, at the table enjoying uh, this feast, um, Philemon looks down and notices that his wine glass is miraculously refilling. Um, Every time he drinks it, it fills back up again. And he and his wife realize that they are in the presence of gods. 
and they panic, they fall to their knees, um, they ask for uh, mercy um, from the gods, that um, the gods would visit them and that they would present them with such meager offerings, right? They're ashamed. But Zeus and Hermes tell them not to be ashamed and bring them up onto a high mountain where they overlook the whole region. And they see the region filling up with swamp water and covering all a thousand houses um, that rejected the hospitality of Zeus and Hermes. Only the house of Philemon and Bosius is left. And that house rises up and becomes this huge temple to Zeus. Hermes and Zeus ask Philemon and Bosius, what do you want? Tell us any desire you want. We will fulfill it because of your kindness and your hospitality that you showed to us. And they make two requests. First, they request that they would be allowed to serve as priests in the temple of Zeus, to continue to serve um, Zeus that they have already done. And the second request they have is that they would be spared from seeing the other person die, that they would die at the same time so that neither of them would have to live without their beloved spouse. They're granted those requests, are able to serve um, as priests in the temple, which used to be their home and is now the temple. And when the day comes for them to die, instead of dying, both of them turn into trees. Right? There's a moment where they watch each other being turned into trees and are so thankful that they don't have to watch the other die and live without the other. Now imagine growing up hearing this story, this myth, and it takes place in your hometown, right? I mean, you'd be like, that's us, right? Ovid included us, right? Our, our region in his metamorphoses. And just think, you know, how you would think about the story, how you would process it. What are the lessons from the story? No doubt there were probably two trees in front of the temple of Zeus that people would point to and say, that's Philemon, that's Bosius, right? That's what happened when they were turned into trees. We can still see them here. And imagine that then you hear about two people that have come into your city, two men that have come to your city, one who talks a lot, um, one who perhaps seems a little more um, dignified, right? Barnabas, son of encouragement. And you hear that these men are telling a message about God coming in the flesh. And then you hear that there's a miraculous healing. A paralyzed man, a paralyzed man you knew, right? You had seen this paralyzed man, and you hear that he is now walking. Perhaps you even see him walking. How are you going to respond? Probably what you're going to say is, I don't want to be one of those a thousand houses, right, that rejected Zeus and Hermes that did not show hospitality. I want to do the right thing. I want to welcome Zeus and Hermes, right? I'm going to join that crowd in offering an oxen to them, right? Not a meager offering, but the best thing we have. I want to do the right thing. And yet you go to partake in this worship, right, to Zeus and Hermes, come once again, returning once again to this region. And when you suddenly hear, right, these two men actually saying, no, do not worship to us, right? Worship to the one true God. This is idolatry. We are not Zeus and Hermes. We are mere men like you. But you can know the one true God who has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, who offers you salvation. And perhaps you'd think, they must be tricking us, right? This must be a test. We're told that they could scarcely refrain from offering to them. They could, that um, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely keep them from making these offerings. When you think about that myth, that story, right? That Zeus, I'm not Zeus, <laughs> I better not call him by the wrong name. That Barnabas and Paul, right, rightly correct and say, no, right? Don't act on this. We also hear in that myth, right, the deep longing that people have for the truths that are fulfilled in the work and person of Jesus Christ. Right? I mean, listen to what's happening in the myth, right? The myth says, right, in your hospitality, in your service to others, 
you may be serving the gods. Right? And what the gospel tells us, right? what Jesus tells us is that when we serve the least of these, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, right, whatever you do for them, you do for me. Right? We hear in that myth that actually the desire of a righteous person should be to worship, right? to be in the temple of God for all time. Right? And Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Right? We hear in that myth right, the deep desire that maybe the gods can set us free from the pain of death. Maybe there's something they can do to lessen the pain of separation from those we love. But in the gospel we see, right, not that we can be turned into trees, right, but that the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated death, that in him is eternal life, that there is new creation to come. And in the myth, right, we hear perhaps the gods dwell among us, Perhaps they're with us. Perhaps the gods actually care about our everyday lives, right? In the gospel, right, we see that Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us, right? And that in him, we have a dwelling place for all eternity where the Lord will dwell with his people and we will be with him. We will see our Lord face to face. I recently um, heard an interview with a, a pastor in Ukraine. And he was saying that in this season of suffering and war that they've been in, that the word he comes back to again and again is Emmanuel, God with us. He just shared that in new ways, he and his church have seen that truth, that God is with us even in suffering. And so the Lord, right, has, has, has brought a witness, even in this myth, right, in this pagan literature from Ovid, the Lord has shown us, right, the, the, again, the deep longings that are fulfilled in him. But this is a longing all people have, right, to know God, to know life, right, to, to know that what we do matters to the Lord. And so the Lord has given a witness. We're in the book of Acts. We've been working through the book of Acts. We've been jumping around, actually, in the book of Acts quite a bit. We're going to be doing that uh, for a couple more weeks Right, but we've seen, right, this is how the first followers of Jesus lived out that calling to be a witness to Jesus. Right, here's what it looked like. Right, as uh, Pete said um, last week, right, the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. But really a better name for the book of Acts is the Acts of Jesus through the Apostles. So I think Pete had even a longer uh, title um, that he added, right? But this ultimately, this book is about Jesus' work through his people. And so as we think of them acting as witnesses and living out that calling, that commission from Jesus to be witnesses, what we see actually is the Lord bearing witness to himself. And we see in this passage, right, how the Lord empowers them as witnesses, how really it's them, right, bearing witness um, through the Lord bearing witness. What does he give them? So if you look at this passage, this amazing and um, powerful story, we see first and foremost the Lord gives them faith. Right? As, as we are called to be witnesses, right? we need faith from the Lord. Right? To, to bear witness to him, we need faith, and he gives us faith. All right, so this takes place at Lystra, again, in the area of Laconia. Um, uh, if you uh, remember from a couple weeks ago, uh, we saw Paul and Barnabas in an area um, called Antioch. Um, from there, right, um, they were uh, basically, they faced uh, persecution. They had to leave that city. They went to a place called Iconium. Once again, they saw people coming to faith in Jesus, but they also experienced persecution and had to leave there and come into Lystra. Okay, so 
Paul has reason to be a little discouraged, right? I mean, they're seeing people come to faith. They're seeing God work powerfully. And yet again and again, they're experiencing resistance. And we can see from the end of this reading that once again, they'll experience resistance. They'll experience significant persecutions. And yet he has not lost faith, right? But let's celebrate Paul's faith, but let's celebrate the Lord who gives him faith. I mean, that's a gift from God, right? And we see not only does the Lord give Paul faith, he gives this man who's healed faith. Right? It's a gift from God. Now, as we consider this, let's just note, again, if you were here last week, or if you remember you know, the book of Acts and from chapter 3, which Pete preached about last week, the similarities between that passage and this passage. Right? There's a paralyzed man um, who um, is seeking help. Right? Um, in the Acts 3, it's, um, Peter and John see this man. They look at him. Right? Luke really emphasizes they stare at him intently. Right? In the same way, Paul looks at him, looks intently. It even uses very similar language, right? Clearly, Luke is wanting us to see the connections between these two miracles, right? And when the paralyzed man is um, healed, as we saw last week, he jumps around, right? And same language here, he springs up onto his feet, right? So Luke is basically showing us, look, the God who brought healing in Jerusalem is the same Lord who is at work here. Right? I mean, the God is, our God is not limited by geogra- geography. He's not limited by people groups. Right? He brings healing. He does his work all over the world. Right? Luke's wanting us to see that. The Holy Spirit's wanting us to see that very clearly. Right? God is at work in people that have no knowledge of the Lord. Right? Of pagan people, even as he's at work um, in Jerusalem and in Israel. Right? Among the people of God, those that have been called um, to him um, from history. And so we see that, right? And again, we see faith. The Lord gives faith. And the Lord gives faith to the paralyzed man. Paul sees him and sees that he has faith. Which again is amazing, right? He doesn't know, at least our impression is he doesn't know the scriptures. Right? He's hearing for the first time about this God. And yet he believes, right? The Lord stirs in him. Paul sees that and basically says, stand upright on your feet. And the man is healed. Right? If we read this and we say, I want faith like that. Right? Now, I'm going to talk about endurance as well when we get to, to the end. So that's part of it as well. Right? But if we see this and say, I want faith like that. Right? I want faith to be able to see healings right? and to, to share the good news that brings healing. Right? We can ask for that. Right? You don't have to say, oh, how can I you know, force myself to have faith? Ask for it. The disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith. Right? And when we read the book of Acts, we can see Jesus answered that prayer. Didn't he? Their faith was increased. And so we can ask. We can say, Lord, increase our faith. Give us faith like this. Right? We can be impressed by Paul, but more so we can say, I want faith like that. Grow my faith. Now, even as we do that, though, we should also acknowledge right, that Paul has put himself in a place, or rather the Lord has put him in this place. He has responded to the Lord's leading where he needs a lot of faith. Right? And so he has stepped out in faith, and as he stepped out in faith, he has seen faith grow. He has seen the Lord meet him in that place. And in saying that, I'm not saying, hey, if you want faith and you want to grow in faith, well, you have to go on a missionary journey. Um, although a lot of people have experienced the growth in faith that they've gone on a missionary journey, right? I mean, that's a very common experience. It's part of my story as people have maybe traveled overseas or even traveled to areas different from their own and seen God at work there and seen God work through them. That does grow faith. Again, it's a gift from the Lord, but we respond to the Lord's, uh, the faith we've been given and we see it increase. But I would encourage you to ask the question, maybe what's the missionary journey the Lord's calling me on, right? Maybe it's not overseas. Maybe it's not in a different region, right? Maybe it's just reaching out to a coworker or to a friend, to a family member. Maybe it's just a step of faith to begin to pray regularly for someone. 
Maybe it's the step of faith to actually take the risk of saying, can I pray for you at this moment? Right? I'm a Christian. I would love to say a prayer for you. Maybe it's the step of faith of actually receiving prayer. Sometimes that's a huge step of faith for us, to go to someone else and say, would you pray for me? Would you, you know, help me um, uh, in this? But again, to ask, what is the journey I'm called on? Again, if you remember, the um, church in Antioch, a different Antioch from the first Antioch they visited, but the church in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were, right, set them aside and sent them out. But they responded in faith to that sending. And so I asked, Lord, where are you sending me? Right? Is there even a small step of faith that as I take that, there's more faith you're wanting to give me? Right? As we act on faith and live on faith, the Lord increases our faith. And so they're given the gift of faith. The Lord empowers them as a witness. Right? And so the man is healed. As we see, um, the uh, people believe that the gods have come um, in the, the flesh. And again, when we know that background of that uh, myth um, that Ovid shares, we can see why that response is so strong there. There's a temple to Zeus there. So clearly, that's very much part of the culture. Um, it takes Paul and Barnabas a little time to realize what's happening, right? You've got to appreciate that suddenly they realize, oh my gosh, they're worshiping us. That's what's happening here. They try to stop them. But what does Paul do as he tries to stop them, right? He doesn't just try to stop them. He preaches to them, right? Of course he does, right? This is an opportunity for me to give a sermon to them to explain what's happening. We saw earlier, right, in his sermon that he gave in a, in a synagogue, when he was talking to Jewish people, he began with the scriptures, right? What has God shown us? What has God revealed to us? Here, he begins with creation, right? He, you shouldn't be worshiping us. You shouldn't be making offerings to us. We bring you good news to a, about a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Look at verse 17. So beautiful. He did not leave himself without witness, right? God is a witness. We're bearing witness, but we're bearing witness to God who has already borne witness to himself. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Are you here, Paul's heart, both to correct them but also just to show them the love of God, right? He's heartbroken. He's like, why would you offer offerings to us when God has fed you? He has satisfied your heart with good things. Worship him. So as we think about how does the Lord empower us as a witness, he gives us faith, but he gives us creation, right? I mean, he gives all people creation, right? That's how abundant and generous the Lord is. But I don't know if you think about the gift of creation and knowing the creator, right? That that's actually a way as we celebrate that gift, that's a way that we grow as a witness. So as you think, how do I grow as a witness to the Lord? Well, take a walk, right? And look at a tree, right? And appreciate it. Or maybe read science stuff. I don't really read science stuff. I don't understand it. But you science people out there, read your science stuff and get into it and get all geeked out about science and how the world works and how things fit together. I've heard it's really awesome. I'm told that by smart people that our world is really cool. I just think it's beautiful, right? But that actually strengthens us as witnesses. To, and you can just tell when you hear Paul's words, it's like, he is in awe of how generous God is, right? And he knows what we know, that this is a fallen world, right? That the world, as beautiful as it is, it's fallen, it's corrupted. Think how great, right, the new heavens and the new earth will be. That the Lord in his kindness in this fallen world still provides for us so abundantly. So the Lord has given us that. He has borne witness to himself through creation, and we can bear witness to that. And I think sometimes we get a little worried as Christians. Maybe we feel like I, I shouldn't love creation too much. I shouldn't, you know, maybe, you know, sometimes there's even a suspicion of learning too much about creation and how the world works. I, I hope we're moving on from that. I hope you see, right, as long as we remember it's creation, right, and not creator, right? We know the creator. We appreciate his handiwork that actually loving and celebrating creation empowers us 
to bear witness and to celebrate with others, right? I'm often told, because I'm a pastor, right? People sometimes feel they have to defend themselves when they hear of a pastor. They'll say, you know, my church is going out in the woods. And I'll say, that's awesome, man. I love going out in the woods, you know? Like, I, you can do both, actually. You can come and be part of a community that worships together, and you can go in the woods as well. So both are great, right? Because we can celebrate that. Yeah, there are ways in which you meet the Lord in powerful ways in the midst of creation, right? And when, as you celebrate and appreciate creation. So the Lord are, bears witness to himself. And then what happens, right? They, they want to offer sacrifices to them. They can hardly restrain themselves and yet things seem to pretty quickly change. We don't know totally the timing. But these um, Jewish leaders who, again, have, have caused persecution against Paul and Barnabas and Antioch and Iconium, they come here now. They are able to turn the crowds against them, right? Which probably, in light of the fact that these crowds actually brought an offering and that offering was rejected, you can see how at least some of them would probably not have a hard time turning against Paul and Barnabas, that they feel like, man, we tried to honor them, and they rebuked us, and then they pretended to be gods, and they're not really. They're false gods. You know, you can see how this would happen. But sadly, once again, they face persecution so badly, right, that Paul is stoned so, you know, so severely that they think he's dead. There seems to be some sort of healing here. The disciples gathered about him. He is able to get back up. And what does he do? He rose up, and he entered the city. You just read that and you think, no, like don't enter the city. What are you thinking? They just stoned you almost to death. Why would you go back? And the next day, he goes to a different city to preach more, right? Every time he preaches, right, he gets persecution. They face resistance and he doesn't stop. And they return to Lystra. They go back to Iconium. They go back to Antioch, all the places where they faced resistance. What does it say? Verse 22. Why does he do this? To strengthen the soul's of the disciples, encourage them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. As right, so the Lord gives them faith, right? The Lord bears witness through his creation, and the Lord gives them endurance. The Lord gives them perseverance, and that is a gift from the Lord. And once again, we can say, man, Paul and Barnabas, especially Paul here, like, that's really impressive, and it is impressive. But it's God's work, right? And, and Paul says that, right? The Lord brings us through many tribulations as we come into the, his kingdom. Right? That's part of the faith, right? That's part of living out our faith is that we face tribulations and we need the Lord to give us endurance, right? There's no surprise. A perseverance is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We need that. We should not be surprised by the tribulations we face. We should not be surprised by the resistance that comes. And the Lord will meet us there. And he will give us strength. And that is a witness to him. Now, we can read this, right? And we can think about what Paul suffered. We can think about that Ukrainian pastor and we could say, man, you know, like, my tribulations are nothing compared to that, right? The difficulties I face in my faith are so small. And we should recognize that. It's good to recognize. But the fact of the matter is we're not called to live Paul's life. Right? We're called to live our life, right? In our life, right, we need strength to face those tribulations. I don't think it's super helpful. It's helpful to remember the suffering of our brothers and sisters, right? But we don't need to downplay what we face. We need to seek the Lord and say, God, who gives endurance to those who are suffering terribly, give me endurance, Give me perseverance in my faith, in my prayers, right? And facing whatever those tribulations that we may face. Give me, give me faith. And why does Paul go back, right? I mean, why does he return? Again, to strengthen the, the, the souls of the disciples. He goes back because the Lord gives faith, but the Lord gives faith through his people. The Lord gives endurance, but he gives endurance through his people. So even as Paul is receiving faith, even as he's receiving endurance, even as he's being strengthened in his witness, he's called to do that 
for others. Right? So as we consider this, as we consider seeking the Lord, his strength, his faith, his endurance, right, we can also ask, Lord, how are you calling me to give that to others? You give that through your people. Right? We may not, again, be Paul, but perhaps there's ways, even as we seek his help in faith, there are ways that we are being called to give faith, to be a source of faith um, to those around us. So on Monday night, we had a, a prayer gathering here that was um, organized by um, Nina and Andrew Wiskus. And uh, um, as I came, just had the opportunity to pray for our church and for our diocese during that time, I left with more faith. I mean, I, I did. I, I left, I was like, my faith is strengthened, right? The Lord has answered the prayer, increase our faith through that time. It was hearing the prayers of others. It was being so blessed that the Wiskuses would initiate that. That gave me faith. So again, ask the Lord for faith and pray and ask the Lord how he may want to give um, others faith through you. Um, as we seek a, um, and think about endurance, I'm um, in awe um, this morning uh, that we have a very um, special guest um, that I didn't know would be a special guest until a few minutes before the service. Otherwise, he'd be up here preaching and I'd be sitting um, in the, the pew. Uh, but uh, he uh, surprised us. Um, and uh, Archbishop Kwashi, I'd love it if you would pray for us uh, right now. I think I told you it'd be at the end of the service, but would you mind coming on up and, and saying a prayer? You're right in the middle of a pew. Um, Archbishop Ben Kwashi is uh, Archbishop of Jos, Nigeria. <laughs> Um, here, we got the mic. Man, sorry. Nigerians don't like it when you show emotion. I'm sorry about this. Uh, they, I'm kidding. I'm kidding about that. Um, uh, Archbishop Ben is a longtime friend of our diocese. And um, he was there when my brother was consecrated as our bishop and uh, gave a couple incredible uh, messages. And um, uh, again, has been a huge support for us. He's a leader in GAFCON, that global Anglican. Um, I forget what stands for. Future conference. Uh, he's the chairman, so I should get the name right. Um, and uh, and again, uh, just a huge blessing. And as many of you know, northern Nigeria faces incredible persecution. Um, it, is, it is a church that has faced immense um, suffering. And so this is a man that knows what it is to endure. Um, and so would you pray for us that we would um, just know endurance in the Lord and the things that he calls us to and that we would know faith? Yes, I will. Let me read to you um, a letter I sent out yesterday to my diocese. Dear friends, peace and joy of the Lord be with you. We are getting to half the year in our one-year daily Bible reading. This joyful exercise is always forever till we take our place with the Lord in heaven. This is to urge you to pick up, catch up, or even start up this exercise of exceptional eternal value. If you neglect this discipline, you will experience unexplainable joy thieves always playing with your heart, with your mind, and with your feelings. Some of the irritations and loss of direction can be placed squarely at the doorsteps of neglecting the great gain of daily Bible reading. The compass of life 
and direction can be lost when the Bible, when the Bible reading is not a priority. Mm. Our poor relationships, love growing cold, weak kingdom values, lack of character, influence on society, poor relationships in the family, in the community, and among the brethren and so on, can be related in direct proportion to the lack in your life with your daily Bible reading. One, you cannot know God outside his word. Two, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to accomplish the will of God. Three, your love for the word is related to your love for God, your love for works, your love for God, your love for God works in you to love others freely and generously. Five, your relationship with God is deepened and built daily by your reading, listening, and taking to heart as God speaks to you through his word. Six, relationships with God and others find a free flow from your relationship with his word. Seven, the problems of sin and failure are dealt with by the promises of the promise fulfiller who through the scriptures has kept his word. Eight, all the good habits, good characters, consistency in discipleship and good behavior in private or public depend on your investment in the disciplines of daily Bible reading. You can reference Psalm 119 and also Proverbs 1, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Blessings on you and all yours. We take this journey together. The Lord be with you, Bishop of Joas. As I listen to this sermon, I am deeply touched by the gift of faith and how we need it in our modern world. The secular gods are reigning right now. And the miracle that you exist as a church, they're wondering how are you managing Without their gods. Mm. Let us pray. Mm. Dear Lord and Father, we thank you for the gathering of your people here in Church of the Cross. Thank you, Lord, that you are the giver of faith. And that in ways that we cannot explain, we respond from our hearts crying, Lord, help our faith. And you in heaven through the Holy Spirit, release the Holy Spirit to confirm in our hearts, like Paul says in Romans 8, that the Spirit of God Mm. bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. Lord, confirm it this morning. And we pray, not only for ourselves. But wherever God people are crying, in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. in Yemen, in Somalia, in Nigeria, in other parts of the world, Mexico and everywhere, people are crying in hospital. They don't know what can remove their ailments. 
in persecuted areas, they are crying, Lord, help. In all the trials of life, now we ask, O God of grace, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. Would you, Lord, now release faith in all conditions of men and women in the land? And wherever there's a cry for help, respond now. That God, on the day of Christ, we will rejoice and give thanks. That through faith, you have given us victory over death, over Satan, over hell, and over all circumstances of life. Let this be for us. As we ask this day, that you answer this prayer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. Amen. Amen. Amen.